Welcome to Mindspace Minimal. We're your hosts, Daniel Ryan and Jessica Yatrovsky. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We hope you enjoy this episode. Jessica. Hey. Today we're talking about living with less, and you're our resident expert on living with less, so I'm definitely going to be asking you a lot of questions about your approach and your philosophy and minimalism in general today. You know, the benefits, challenges, you know, New York life and experiences we've talked about before of living in houses versus apartments and stuff like that. And uh, also, too, of course, as I am here with you, I, I love minimalism as an aesthetic, a philosophy. Yeah, I believe in it physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually from a certain point of view. Uh, so, yeah, excited to get into this subject. Certainly important to both of us. We hear a lot about it, but it can be interpreted so many different ways, and often is, and is really very much a subjective experience too, right? Like one's, one person's minimalism and simplicity is another person's nightmare, right? And it's like mm-hmm. they're going to need they're going to need more or different or whatever it might be. Or they're going to need therapy. Or that, yeah. <laughs> or to just leave. <laughs> well, I think, you know, being that the topic was we were talking about calling it, you know, living with less, it made me think about specifically what we're going through right now where we just just straight up don't have access to a lot of the things that we had access to mm-hmm. last February, let's mm-hmm. say. So I think for me, minimalism has taken this whole new shape of like, what do you actually need to survive? And mm-hmm. I don't mean in a crazy way where people have these wardrobes that are you know just three pieces or I only have one pair of jeans and I only have one coffee cup and I don't mean minimalism like that I don't mean minimalism in the Kamari way where you throw all your stuff out or something actually I'm going to retract that because she doesn't tell you to throw your stuff out but you know minimalism in a way where I think it's about balance And living with things that are not serving yourself or your household or your family or your lifestyle. But um, but getting back to what I was saying about, you know, living through this time of quarantine and there are things that are just simply not available to us to go out and either purchase or fill our homes up with Mm -hmm. or um, just ways of obtaining things that are going to ultimately accumulate just ultimately things that are going to accumulate in your home in your mind on your to-do list so I do think that for a minimalist the quarantine vibe has been giving some sense of um a bit of relief because there's not a lot of management going on right now about taking in too much now if we're talking about virtually We could have a whole episode on virtual minimalism. That's very true. You know, I mean, even just different kinds of minimalism in general, responding to a couple things that you just mentioned, you know, I feel my minimalism challenged by COVID because I love the idea of living with less. I, I believe in the power of, you know, removing inessentials and keeping things as simple as they possibly can be and 
and also, you know, as beautiful as they can be, especially in our homes. Uh, and, you know, COVID's like, stock up on this. You need more toilet right. paper. You need potable water, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. All the, the prepper impulses that may have existed in any person, you know, I mean, have certainly been poked at and prodded. Uh, and I don't, you know, say this with any judgment because nobody, nobody knows. Nobody has the, the rule book. So, you know, one question I want to ask you, which mm-hmm. feels relevant, how do you know when something's not serving you? You mean an object or anything? I guess both. You know, I mean, feel free to play with the question. I'm asking, you know, so there can be a kind of, you know, uh, we can hear your philosophy and feel free to to give it some time. But, you know, how do you know when an object or anything, even something in your mind or your heart is unnecessary? I really respond to aesthetics and visuals. And with that also comes emotional responses to things. So I don't know what comes first is the emotional response or the aesthetic visual sort of um response (laughs) is it maybe it's different every time um what's that um i always forget it that um when people can hear color or see synesthesia yes so Mm -hmm. i have that i have synesthesia going on Mm -hmm. it's diagnosed dan (laughs) (laughs) i was diagnosed i have synesthesia and so i feel that when i walk into a room for example now this does this is not for everyone, right? Because a lot of people are not homebodies. I am a self-proclaimed homebody. I spend mm. a lot of time at home. And um, I have the opportunity to really spend a lot of time in each room and just investigate what's in my line of vision and Mm. what's disrupting it Mm -hmm. i can't sit in a room and feel completely relaxed because there's something out of place and i'm not talking about this in an ocd way like this thing has to be turned just at this angle Mm -hmm. it's more like does that plant feel right in that corner are there too many objects starting to accumulate in this space Mm -hmm. in the house It's about being tuned into that and how it makes me feel. Mm -hmm. If I can gaze in a corner and feel relaxed or even unbothered by it, that's like a good space to be in. And I feel for me, that's about subtraction. So having less things in the field of vision, less things distracting you when you're walking through the house, that allows me to have a clearer thought process and daydream process just I feel freer to think and go about my day without stumbling over things or having multiple pairs of shoes lining up at the front door everything has a place and I know I'm kind of jumping around in all these different places right now or I'm jumping around to different kind of subjects of of minimalism but having a place for everything in your home is essential to me Mm -hmm. and I think that when things are put away then you can sort of glide around your home with ease and less distraction and this can be oh my god you can just focus in on this in so many different categories in your home Mm -hmm. like 
for me, words are very effective and ineffective in my relaxation. Mm -hmm. So I tend to not have books out. Mm -hmm. I've selected a few of like my favorite books to put out because I like the words that they display mm -hmm. or they make me feel a sense of calm. Like in my my bedroom, I have a book called Intimate Strangers, um, Moonlight, mm -hmm. that beautiful movie. Mm -hmm. And but I just love the when you gaze at a word mm -hmm. like moonlight, yeah. what that evokes, and it's in front of my bed. Um, yeah. The hypnotist in me agrees with you, by the way. Sometimes I'll rearrange people's books in their apartments on their shelves if they if I'm in a friend's apartment. I mean this as a joke. And uh, we'll put messages in the spines of the books and kind of try to chain together sentences. Like there are those word magnets that people would have jumbled on their refrigerator, yeah. which also kind of drive me crazy. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> just I used speaking, to have them, though. Yeah, me too. And speaking to the visual power of words, just agreeing with you, you know, there's uh, internal part of all of this the you know internal reflecting external being one of the core principles of this podcast the way this comes into my office all the time is in people's as we're saying responses and interactions to their environment and things that they feel they can and cannot do because x y or z now I don't want to suggest, of course, that all people's problems are solved by rearranging your furniture or something like that. Of course, it's it feels not that good, simple. Though. Well, that's just the thing. And clearing some kind of path. I'm thinking of one client in particular where, and you know, there's very literal piles of clutter on their desk, you know, as they're mm -hmm. talking about the, the weight of the emotional burden on their creative work. While they're also, of course, you know, needing to give their attention in other directions. But these piles that I, I see in our Zoom call are the literal manifestation oh. of the the piles and the, the weight and the heaviness of the burden that he's describing on his shoulders and his lower back. Yeah, so I don't, you know, I don't stop the session right there and be like, clean, clean, your, your, clean your desk and start that. <laughs> And, you know, a part of me knows we could do that. And it might just be, it might be as good an intervention as any other that we might make that day. You know, what we do in my sessions and what hypnosis does is addresses that internal space. But uh, to your point, and to the point of what we're speaking about today, internal, reflecting, external, there's a big, that is how I came to fall in love with minimalism personally, is by... You know, I don't want to make it sound more, you know, important than it really was. This was, it was all kind of, you know, a path of play and exploration and me figuring pieces out one at a time. But it was kind of through Buddhist practices of non-attachment that the idea of decluttering even began to make sense to me. Hmm. And that with the lifestyle that New York apartment living will simply force upon a person. Totally you know, put me into a mindset that, that that then I started, you know, really thinking about, you know, even if we'll just cite once, you know, Marie Kondo's, does this bring me joy, you know, and my applying that to myself as a kind of tool, you know, as a, a way to take the temperature on 
what I needed and what I didn't. I, I didn't always use Marie Kondo's question. In fact, I came to it very late, but went through this process and discovered I like minimalism because it makes me feel cleaner. It makes the space feel cleaner. Mm -hmm. As you're saying, you know, your description of gliding around one space, it's it's as neurological as it is physiological because you know the brain is an incredible cartographer and map maker and as we get to know our spaces and clean the corners and then and put everything in its own place you know there's a little dopamine hit associated with every piece of that process absolutely and i think people don't necessarily actively consider this when they're cleaning their home everyone wants to get a great bookshelf so they can display all of their books right and my personal opinion, this is my personal opinion. This is not anything that, well, maybe people have written about this. Hot I take think, coming in. I think this is a mistake because it's such a bombardment of information to take in. Sure. You're reading everything, even if you think that you're not, you're not actively reading it, but you're processing these letters and these words. And those are things better kept out of sight if your home is supposed to be for relaxation and respite. That's my personal belief. When I got rid of a bookshelf, it was like I could relax in my living room. Mm -hmm. I could relax walking through the spaces that held all these books previously. Mm -hmm. So I'm not advocating to get rid of your books. Like mm -hmm. I have a beautiful... Um, storage unit for my books and I pull out the drawers and I can see all the titles of the books, you know, on the spines mm -hmm. and pull out what I want to read. And Sounds like a proper reference library, actually, yes. as opposed to a and piece it, of furniture or something. And it's more of an, an engagement with reading, with looking, mm -hmm. with um, magazines, anything that you love to read and collect. And I think part of the issue is that what I've found is when I get to the book category in most people's homes, they love all their books because it's a quote collection, mm -hmm. but they feel bad because they're staring at this bookshelf of ton of books that they've never read. <laughs> so it's actually a source of shame. And experiencing subconscious shame and guilt, and right? And guilt, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I, get a, so, I get a lot of that in my office in just that way. Yeah. yeah, and so why would you want just the same reason why I tell people you got to let go of clothes that do not fit you because that also psychologically fucks your shit up yeah. in terms of your body image. So it's like... Cutting off the habit of buying books you're not reading too. Right. Right. And also, if you if you go through your books and you choose your favorite, favorite books and you keep those books, that's awesome. And getting rid of the ones that no longer serve you or just putting them on Kindle or downloading them on Audible because sometimes it's like the physical space that they occupy. They become null and void and you don't even – they're invisible to you. Yeah. So if you put it on Audible and you're like, oh, I'm working in my studio, I'm working in my office um, – I'm going to pop on this book that I got rid of. And then you're actually consuming these things that did bring you some type of happiness when you were either gifted the book or you bought the book for yourself. So I'm an advocate for getting rid of physical things and actually using the things that you want to use in your space and just creating more room in that way. So I, I know we're talking about minimalism in general, but I just find books as a sticking point, especially with New Yorkers, because we want people to come in our homes and see that we read. 
Like that's a big deal. It's very true. But I think we might even have a New Yorker sitting there on the coffee table to prove it or something. <laughs> exactly. You know? But I think if you get rid of your ego with that a little bit by getting rid of those books and maybe make an effort to retain some of that information you read and use it at a dinner party mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of having the display of books out, I think that that's way cooler. And, um, don't get me wrong. If you have a study and you have books in a study, yeah. that to me seems appropriate. There is a line here, right? I mean, yes. you know, some literally Sarah and I, my wife and I just bought a bookshelf a couple weeks ago. It's brand new. It's in the apartment. I hope I'm not dragging your whole. Please. You're fine. <laughs> not at all. We love it. And, you know, are, are somewhere at every point of the spectrum that we're talking about. There's books on that shelf that I haven't read yet. Now, I know too much to look at a bookshelf and feel unconscious shame, so I don't let myself go there. You're a special person. Appreciate it. I'm also, I've just, I know too much and I've had enough time. A lot of this stuff, I think, are also things people can simply grow out of. Uh, And yeah, we just got this bookshelf. And it's actually started this pretty cool conversation between Sarah and I where we've noticed just how random our collection is. You know, it's this real, just kind of bizarre hodgepodge, first of all, of both our books, and then, you know, books I've collected and read over the last 20 years, and same with her. And it's also pretty pared down. It's not excessive. You know, we're talking about, uh, I don't know how many, but, you know... uh, it it doesn't take up a lot of space, you know. It's That's certain. great. So, all this as a way of saying, yeah, we're we're pretty engaged with it, uh, and also focused on making sure that the the shelves themselves are a beautiful experience because we are going to be looking at them, and it's not just books that are on them. How do you feel about color coding and you know organizing spines of books, mm. journals, magazines by color? Uh no. Why not? And that's funny, right, coming from me because I'm an artist. Um, I think that if you enjoy that, do it in your home. Mm -hmm. I am adverse to primary colors. I hate that look. I don't like the look of, you know, green, blue, red, you know, like, uh, it's just very Crayola crayon to me. I love it. What I do love... This is the hottest take on this <laughs> podcast so far. Did you know this prior? I did not know this. Okay. No. And for the record, you're speaking to a fan of primary colors, but I, I, I'm, I'm I, loving this. Please. But I appreciate that someone else can appreciate sure. that. Like, I would never walk into someone else's... They appeal to the five-year-old in me, literally. There you go. So that works for you, but I don't like to see it in my home. Sure. My home is like neutral taupey white beigey <laughs> no color for the record i would not call your home beigey <laughs> and it's, neither should you it's just kind of like you know blank-esque this but, is not accurate you have a beautiful home i'm sitting in think, it right well, now and that's i think that's beautiful i think blankish sure is beautiful sure. yeah but blank i mean i'm, I'm not There's arguing textures. with you like yeah. i like textures i like um I like really sort of light things. And and I'm going to tell you the reason why and the reason why I, I don't like primary colors. Mm. Started off as a painter. So mm-hmm. it's like I know how to make in every color mm-hmm. out of primary colors. Yeah. And I am so sensitive mm. to color, to sound, that 
that's why I need to take it easy. That's why lighter colors are just easy on my eyes mm-hmm. and on my um, mental and emotional state. Mm-hmm. Two bright colors um, just get me too amped up. They bring my energy up too high. They make me too excited sure. or even feel crazy. Like, you know, when you go into like a Chuck E. Cheese or like, um, you know, an amusement park or something and they have all those colors, it's like, yeah, that makes sense because this is about excitement. So when I come home, I don't want to feel excitement. I want to feel relaxed. Sure. But um, so getting back to your question about how you arrange books, if you arrange it by color, I think that it depends on your house. It depends on your bookshelf. It depends like, you know, some people order things by um, subject. Mm. What I do is I kind of order things. I order things by size. So, and this is how it goes in my closet too. So if you ever have, have a session with me doing your wardrobe, we talk about placement and what ascending and descending means. And that's how I treat books as well as I go ascending or descending, depending on where you're storing your books or where you're displaying your books. And I find that to be a really good practice because you look at like the size, the length, the height of the book, and it's easier to access that way rather than having, um, for example, all of your blue shirts are together, right? You're going to miss one of your blue tank tops (laughs) because everything is a clump of blue. So you don't organize your closet like that. You do it by sleeve length and material Mm. and maybe like seasonal material and then you have this beautiful like line of colors going down but you do pay attention to color in terms of you should be going light to dark or dark to light whatever your preference is so if i get nerded out with books what i'll do is ascending or descending depending on size and then i'll do color dark to light or like light to dark so may I ask a question? Yes, it sounds crazy, right? No, no. It, it sounds like a method. What I'm wondering, though, and I'm thinking of my own you know, Neanderthal brain. Mm-hmm. Have you ever come into contact with somebody who's just like, I don't think I can, I don't think I can pull that off. You know, because it, it's, I'm wondering because like there are so many impulses and things I've done. You know, already even mm-hmm. like organizing my closet by color and stuff like that. Previously, which I don't currently do, uh, but, you know, different approaches to, you know, I don't know, just the idea, because I'm, I'm, I'm curious if, you know, people have just, you know, responded to it a certain way and been like, I don't know if I can pull that off long term. I've not had anybody tell me that they can't do X, Y, or Z because I'm not telling them to do it. I'm showing them um, this is a way to do something. But I always use the caveat of if it does not work for you, then your organization is not going to work. So you need to find the method that brings you to a place where you feel connected to it and organized in a way that you can maintain it. So. This is the way that I do it. Somebody actually taught me ascending and descending before um, I even learned about Marie Kondo. I learned this when I was like 16 or 17. Mm -hmm. And I think 
it's such a cool method, but I think if we're talking about wardrobe, I know we're kind of bouncing books, wardrobe, books, wardrobe, but stuff. Yeah. If you're talking about wardrobe, the thing is, is that you want your closet to be shoppable. You know, Hmm. when you go into a high-end store. That's a nice idea. And they've just made it in a way that it's merchandised so beautifully and you can easily find what you need and you can kind of browse through the racks at a leisurely pace and really look at the garments. That's how you want your closet to be. You don't want your closet to be like, Here's all the royal blue, every sleeve length. Here's all the black, every sleeve length. It's like, give yourself some time and care. Now, granted, if you've gone through your closet and done some discarding and done some dis- and, and done some decluttering, you're going to find that it's just more beautiful to, let me rephrase that. You know, you go through, you discard. You're going to want to keep up that aesthetic of that living with less look and I'm not talking about like full-on minimalism like I said just one pair of jeans look I just mean something where you can actually have sort of a mental inventory when you're not even at home of what's in your closet what's in your drawers um and speaking to what you asked me about like do I find people that are in resistance to this if I've ever suggested something The only person that I've ever encountered that was in resistance to something was me. Hmm. So I worked with a consultant once because also I think it helps to work with somebody in your same field to get a different perspective Hmm. and not to take anything away from like her teachings. And then for myself, you, you know, to use it in my own practice, it was like, I want it deep in my practice. Where's my blind spot? And I remember we were working in my closet. First of all, she had me go back and do clothes. And I was really annoyed by that Mm. in my mind. But also, I know how to combat those demons of, you know, um, bitchiness. (laughs) My 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 bitch demons. Mm. And so I took all the clothes out. And then she asked me to consider the order I had placed the pants versus the tops in the drawers in my closet. And I was like, I do not want to do that. And she, I didn't say that. I just did it. Based on her recommendation, I tried it. Because, see, this is the thing. If you're going to have somebody come into your home, you're going to spend the time, effort, money, and attention to this part of your life. What's the harm in just trying something? You can literally put it back the same way if it doesn't work for you. Mm -hmm. So I tried what she did, and by God, I prefer it now. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people when I work with them, this is not the end-all, be-well. This is not the end-all, be-all of storing. (laughs) The end-all, be-well. The end-all, be-wellness of (laughs) your clothes and your books. Try it if you don't like it and it does not speak to you change it back or find a better method for yourself. And at the end of the day, what you have to do is find something that you're going to be able to keep up, right? So if I come in and I put upon you all of these ideas and they're so overwhelming to you and then you can't be consistent with it or find like a connection to it or, you know, riff off of it, Mm -hmm. 
you're going to have, you're going to backslide, right? right? And, and I know we should be talking a little bit more about minimalism specifically, but I think that this... The all, practical stuff's important though, man. Yeah, this is all part of it. And, right. and we're getting into like nuts and bolts here, but the details of it matter because I think that if you're talking about management of any category of objects in your home, this idea of living with less, it is about living with less, and the less you have, the less maintenance, the less time you spend categorizing, organizing, and the more time you have to live your life. And I, and you don't want to live your life organizing your stuff, do you? You want to go to the park. You want to be with your friends and your family. You want to organize it and be done with it and yeah. balance your life. Which is, yeah, again, I know I'm just repeating what you said now, but that's the gift. And coming back to my story before about why I learned and how I learned that I do enjoy and I do love minimalism as a practice and as a philosophy uh, is just that, you know, I experienced as a, a benefit and a kind of side product of uh, or byproduct of what we're talking about. That enjoyment, that sense of, oh, I can feel better and be more relaxed because I know uh, where my things are. And I mean, there's just a, a lot of writing about just the concept of having one's house in order that that yeah. is that is you know practically in many ways what we're speaking about mm-hmm. and and you know in terms of living with less that is also a bit challenging during this time too because we're getting Definitely. a lot of orders <laughs> a lot of maybe amazon if you're anti-amazon i'm sorry you're getting your local boxes what have you mm-hmm. is that you know it kind of throws into sharp relief all of the waste as well because you're unpacking a box and now you're breaking it down. Hopefully you're recycling it if you live in a place where you can recycle. But I I started to get a little bit, um, uh, I don't even know, I'm making (laughs) body movements over here. She's going into anxious something or other people, I don't know. Um, Because every day it's like another order and you have to open it up and, and, you know, discard the things that that are disposable. And, and, And I'm thinking, oh, you know, I need to make room for these new things because we are living in a, in a bit of a different time where we need to make room for like, I have a whole drawer now for face masks <laughs> exactly, and, and I right. had to make room for that. And that wasn't a previous necessity. Yeah. So when you talk about, oh, just like your, your basic things or your basic necessities, well, that shifts all the time. It also shifts when you have children. It shifts mm-hmm. when a new partner moves in. It shifts when you go from, you know, living by yourself, living with other people, or vice versa. So, speaking to that, yeah. pardon my interruption, mm-hmm. for all the parents out there, is minimalism possible with children? You're asking me that. I'm asking, yeah, I'm asking you that. <laughs> I mean, your opinion, you know, I mean, your thoughts on it in general. Because my feeling is, my general feeling, casually speaking, is no. I, and, you know, I say that I'm not a parent either, you know. In, mm-hmm. Hopefully, maybe someday Sarah and I would like to start a family. Uh, you know, that aside, though, I see my friends around me and all the cool kids that they have now and, you know, the parents that I've known for a long time. And with total compassion and on behalf of, you know, these great parents in my life and you know, the way they're raising their kids, you know, it's like talking about waste 
Mm-hmm. And you know, this is this is good parenting. Like, I don't think that this is actual wastefulness. I think this is you know people prioritizing their children and everything else. But it's like, oh my god, just the path of destruction. And yeah. you know, I mean, if it's especially if it's like two or three or four kids, it's like you know, getting out the door takes an hour and a half, getting in takes another forty five minutes, and it's just like everything's a production: the diapers, the yes. clothes, the wash, like all of it. You know, so well, so on behalf of the parents yeah, out there, a few things. Minimalism is a mindset, hmm. and it doesn't mean that you're living this perfect Scandinavian <laughs> life with your kids in their little overalls, and you wash their diaper every day, and like you live a perfect life. That's unrealistic for most American families. And I think the reason why I say it's a mindset is I also I think of it as a practice, hmm. minimalism as a practice, because. If you have children, you know they grow out of clothes constantly and they are moving into new hobbies and new sure. interests and they want new activities to do and new toys to buy. Some parents actually come to think of it, pardon me, I'm just realizing mm-hmm. this as we're talking about it, teach their kids minimalism along the way. I've yeah. seen examples of that that are There's pretty beautiful. Beautiful examples of um, teaching children that you know, for them to look through their own toys and objects and books and, and, and decide what they don't need, decide what they don't need. And also bring in a sense of charity. Like who would you like, would you like to give this to another little boy or girl or child? So like, that's awesome. But I think for speaking specifically to families and minimalism and how people go, Oh, bullshit. I think from my perspective, because um, I have children in my family and my sister had two little ones that, mm. you know, I was basically like raising with her. Mm. Um, I shouldn't take that kind of credit. I was just around all the time with these crazy little boys. And I think it's about maintenance. It's about like having the discipline when you can, yeah. because it's really, really hard as a parent. I've and being seen being gentle that. with yourself along the way. Yeah. Is that... Um, you just have to make sure that you're taking time at some point to go through the stuff that the kids aren't using and also, but hold yourself accountable first and you need to stay on top of your things and make sure that you're constantly going through things. Children can go through their own things at a certain age, but you can do it on their behalf Mm -hmm. depending on their age or like just their, if they have a um, disability or they're they're unable to do things on their own, mm-hmm. you can surely help them out. So I don't think, but I think also, you know, when you think about a family and like being minimalist and people laugh at that, it's like, again, I'm not talking about minimalism where you're living in a space with like one piece of furniture and one bed and, you know, just a few pairs of pants. I'm talking about a mindset that says, I don't want to live with clutter. I want to live with less. I want to have enough things that feel like, you know, supportive of our lifestyle, but not so much that it's a burden to our household. And that's the biggest struggle I think a lot of people have um, because we love to consume and we love to buy things and we love to have our little things around us, you know, and mm-hmm. comforting us. So, um, yeah, if that answers your question, I have some other things too, like having fewer things also you, 
have fewer responsibilities, mm. right? So I think a lot of times, even people that acquire money that don't come from money, but all of a sudden start to acquire, you know, big paychecks, new money, new money jobs that, you know. This reminds me of triggers hiding in plain sight too. Feels like a good sure. space to even mention you know, these responsibilities. Yeah, but I think what happens is that when people start to acquire um more and more and more it's like a way to show uh, to display and i don't mean this in a negative way i mean in a positive way like look what i've created more money more problems yeah but if you if the accumulation of these things start to overtake your life the maintenance becomes too much and and i always like when i watch these home shows I'll let two things. One is with the home shows where they're building these massive homes and it's just like two people living in it, (laughs) unless they're constantly like entertaining. I'm like, oh Christ, I would not want to clean that house. That's the first thing I think is that dust everywhere. I'm going to be dusting that house. I'm like, do these people have jobs? Are they going to clean their house? Okay, maybe they're going to have a cleaner. I don't want a fucking cleaner in my house every day. Like, I, I want just a normal sized space that I can function with my things. Yeah. Now, the second. Unless your gigantic house is a tax break. Yeah. <laughs> you should consider exactly that. I, I agree completely. <laughs> I just, I mean, I, I'm not against people having big houses. That's of course. Fine. Yeah. Make yourself happy. This is my personal opinion. <laughs> I don't want a bunch of people in my house. I want to be naked and I want to feel free. And, you know, and, and you definitely like can't be naked with and you want, house And you want to now. know when you're finished cleaning the damn thing, too. Yeah. There's 75 rooms. Yeah. It's, you've it's, got a week of dusting ahead of you. It feels too much. And then the other thing is like, oh my God, the interior decorating. That's going on in the in in the world. I don't know in America. Can I ask? Can I in, can I step in right there and ask you a question? Sure. Can taste be taught? What? Can taste be taught? <laughs> She's laughing hysterically. Just oh so you know. Oh <laughs> my god! This is a whole other podcast because you know what they say that famous phrase. Please. Money can't buy state. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how it stops right there money can't buy taste yeah um or love well i disagree with that all right all right <laughs> i think money can't buy taste but that's so rude to say that because everybody has their own taste and yeah. if they love it and they just want to swim and bathe in it yeah, exactly like that's at the end of the day I'm saying at the end of the day, it's like the beginning of the day. (laughs) Um, That's their prerogative. And it's about how you feel. And tastes do change, you know. Taste changes all the time. But let me give you a personal story about this. The thing that I love about um, aging. (laughs) Nice. This is a totally (laughs) pro-aging podcast. Go on. The thing that I love about aging is that I'm not afraid to sort of go for like my taste and what I believe in. And I do have a few friends that I lean on to bounce ideas back and forth in terms of like interior things or clothes. Shout out to Patricia, Dana, Alexis. Mm -hmm. These are my girls that I go to because they know my taste. They also have similar backgrounds as I do in terms of like aesthetics and, and knowing color, knowing style, knowing silhouettes, all of these things. So I think that 
going to art school also helps you develop um, taste and style in a way where you're learning color, you're learning shape, you're learning form, you're learning how light hits something, how things are not what they seem. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, yeah, I'm sure people go to art school and they have terrible fucking taste, or terrible style as yeah. evidenced by a lot of interior designers that my I, taste was not great when I went into school and I didn't enjoy school, but my, I came out knowing more than I knew before then. <laughs> and the not enjoying is its own story and pardon the interruption. Well, the weird me. thing about my taste was that I always had it in my head, but then I never created it. Sure. Like I would just, um, it's kind of like unshaped clay, isn't it? You know I mean? That metaphor. I was like, I really want to do this thing. I really want my house to look like this. But then something that I wrote down here is that, um, I was doing this thing, especially when I moved to New York eons ago, it was collect and regret. So (laughs) I was collecting things off the street and then regretting it later. And I was having this aesthetic that's super popular. It's that like rustic urban outfitters vibe that sure. like everybody was rocking for a long time. God, that was everywhere in Williamsburg yeah. for like 15 years. And it still is in a lot of places. And the, yeah. I, I'm we not, don't go places anymore. So <laughs> yeah, I, don't, we, I don't see it. I don't know what's going on out there, but um, I don't hate on it. No, I, I just, no, it's a great vibe, actually, yeah. when it's done right. I learned that it wasn't my style, though, and I was kind of like holding back on, you know, how to decorate my space and, and the things that I wanted in my space. So um, getting back to your question, like, can you, what was, what was the question? It was so disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> can taste be taught was the way I phrased the question. It was just somebody, can you teach taste? I think you can teach people how to tap into what it is that they are really vibing and loving and how to curate their taste. Yeah, exactly. You can teach history, right? You can teach Mm -hmm. people about different ways of doing it. Coming back to the point of what you were saying before, even of here's a method, you know, here's something that I'm offering you that you don't need to accept or reject just here is a method and you know let's let's make something that does work and flow with you and that you're not going to bounce out of mm-hmm. a, a week or two later or something like yeah. that you know you can teach people yeah again history and great teachers and great philosophy and structure and whatever else and let people kind of refine their taste from that yes. I, I see so much actually i mean if you drill down in society, especially with America, I mean, so much comes back to education or, or lack of education, honestly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just it's, people not knowing. You don't have to be educated to decorate your house beautifully or yeah, not decorate it. Yeah. Or, or you I don't, don't even mean, need to I don't decorate. mean a college degree, of course, when I say educated. I just mean informed. Like, yeah. people having multiple different things available to them. So, I mean, for instance, to speak for... My own experience, again, I grew up in a suburb of New Jersey in the 1980s and 90s. It was a beautiful place to grow up. You know, I went back after college and living in a couple crappy apartments, and I was like, holy shit, I grew up in a kind of a paradise, a kind of a paradise. And, you know, the living in New York now for almost 20 years, being drawn to the city from the earliest ages I can remember and out of those suburbs... Just how monochromatic, literally and figuratively, the suburbs are, and how few ways of life 
I came into contact with as a kid in New Jersey. There's like three ways of life. Ralph Lauren, <laughs> Tommy Hilfiger, or whatever the other brand was that the Which kids you were like right. primary colors. So what the fuck? It's true. And, you know, maybe it's for what it's worth. You know, I keep seeing my Hudson Bay blanket, which I love in my head, too, which, you know, are the primary colors. These you know beautiful striped wool blankets that Sarah and I have one of that I totally love. Uh, and I agree with everything you're saying, too, about responses to color. And it's actually yeah. bringing me to, you know, a couple things in my apartment. And, and Sarah and I are in a new place, so we're very much in an additional phase. You know, we're putting new things here and new things there, and it's very exciting. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's... And it's like, how does it make you feel? Entirely. Mm -hmm. And there's also this preemptive thing in me now, thinking about how am I going to feel about it six months from now, two years right. from now, four years but from see, now. But it's, see, it's not a fixed thing either, and I tell clients that. It's about trying different things out, Um my girlfriend, Alexis, she talks about her grandmother who's so fashionable and she goes through this process that a lot of us do where she's not sure she has a new object or a new vase or a plant or something and she'll just try it out in an area of the house. And how many of us do that? But no one taught her that mm -hmm. and no one really taught me that. It's just it's, it's more about like, you, yeah, using your intuition and like tapping into, oh, how does this feel in this space? How does this feel over here? Like, talk to the object. What do you want mm. it to do? People say, you know, talk to your plants. Sure. Talk to an inanimate object as well, you know, like. Talk to objects is our advice. Yes. People. I'd do it for what it's worth. I am one of those psychos who will talk to myself and other things, but mm -hmm. I also consider and pardon my interruption, Jess, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you. You know, I think there is a productive and practical way to talk to ourselves and everything that mm -hmm. doesn't make us crazy, that is actually very helpful to problem solving and can be very helpful to jogging thought in a way too. My granddad mm -hmm. was this awesome guy, just, you know, my absolute model for a benevolent masculine uh, figure uh, used to say, he was like, you know, you got to... <laughs> He was a military engineer, and he would tinker with stuff professionally all his life. And he was always like, you got to talk to it. Yeah. You got to talk to it. You have to ask things what they want. But I will say as a warning, you need to go through your home. You need to go through your home, your apartment, your studio, your office, what have you. And you need to get really clear about the lifestyle you desire and how you're going to align all of that and mm -hmm. how it's going to reflect in your house, in your office, in any other space you inhabit and go through everything, discard the things that do not belong there and keep the things that are of use to you and then start, you know, playing and, and sort of um, just what's the word I'm looking for? playing and exploring and expanding. And that's why it's like minimalism is so cool because it just gives you so much space. It frees you up so much. And I wanted to go back to one thing that I said earlier about, mm. um, you know, those, the home shows where they're doing like home renovations mm -hmm. and showing like really big houses and how I have anxiety. Cause I'm like immediately thinking about cleaning them. I also, with the interior design shows, those set me off. I have a little song that I like to sing. 
because they'll be like an interior designer and he'll reveal, you know, the house or whatever he or she or they will reveal the interior design to the client after. And they're like, look, this is amazing, you know, and I'm like, where can I lose my keys today? Where can I lose my keys today? Because there's so many nooks and crannies and corners and decor you're going to lose all your fucking shit in that place. Like you're going to lose your bag. You're going to lose your keys. My keys are in the wine closet. My phone's in the solarium. So much My wallet's in the library. Decor vomitus. It's like, it's so much. And I would say that's even a best case scenario. I mean, how many of these rooms (laughs) just sit there empty? Yeah. Just sit there empty. You know, that's honestly what my imagination goes to first is a sad, empty room nobody goes into with nothing in it. There's a white carpet, perfectly lovely wood trim on the windows, and the sun shines in there all day, and that's it. With the things in it? With the decor No, it's empty. Well, it has... There's a kind of absence of decor. Yes, the the frame of the house is holding up the room, and Mm -hmm. the frame of the house is beautiful, probably made from very high-quality materials, but the room is empty, and it's not enjoyed, and there's nothing in there. But you wouldn't lose your keys in there. It's not my room. I didn't buy this house. Okay. okay. Wait. <laughs> so no, I'm not going to lose my keys in there. I just, I, I think less is more. <laughs> okay. I will say that in, on my deathbed. Less is more. Um, unless we're talking about essential oils, then it is totally normal to own 200 plus yeah. bottles of yeah. essential oils. Or or hot sauce in certain occasions. Yes. The um, So here's, as we approach the conclusion for today, you know, I've come back to this idea as I'm listening to you around minimalism that I imagine makes minimalism a thousand times easier and more possible. And I want to hear your thoughts on it. You know, knowing who you are and what you want versus people, perhaps understandably, let's say a young person, you might be listening to this podcast right now, late teens or 20s or something like that, somebody who is still very much developing their psyche, their personality, figuring out what they're into. For, you know, well, actually, as I'm speaking, I'm realizing minimalism for me was even kind of a way of figuring out who I was and what I wanted. It was a part of that process. But, you know, so tell me what's your feeling on this idea of, you know, and the importance of knowing who one is and what they want as a way of clarifying And there was something you said before, I wish I could remember the exact words, but being able to really dial in the few objects one needs, the books that are truly precious, which by the way, I heard this great idea around books that applies that, you know, their books are to be stored for reference, not reverence. Yes. And in a study. Yeah. And, you know, even the way, again, you describe your books organized, you know, they're there so you can... Find them and go to a passage or something mm-hmm. like this versus, you know, static decoration, which, you know, might not be actually very decorative. Yeah. Isn't it kind of weird to perform intellect <laughs> with our book collections? It's like... Definitely. And, you know, we could, you, uh, you know, as New Yorkers, we could probably lovingly, you know, laugh at ourselves a little bit with that stuff. There's, I mean, yeah, uh, Let's agree. There's a performed intellectualism, certainly in New York, but not just New York, of course. I mean, all over 
states. In fact, I'm reminded too, even traveling to certain parts of Europe, somebody told me once, you know, other cultures value intuition the way the U.S. values intellect. Mm-hmm. And that the way we look at even, you know, reverence for degrees mm-hmm. and, you know, college educations, which life is a process of education, of course, I am pro-education. But if we can also agree that, you know, college is pretty expensive and sometimes not the best idea for a lot of people. It's also highly prohibitive. And, you know, how many leaders are around us currently doing amazing things who don't have college educations and do not seem to be hampered by that? So mm-hmm. anyway, all this as a way of coming back to young people and knowing who you are and what you want mm-hmm. in minimalism, please. To take risks and Mm. explore as much as possible. Mm -hmm. That's the only way you're going to learn. I mean, so much of what creatives do is getting in with the material, like actually having a physical experience with whatever medium they're playing in. And if it's all stuck up in your head, it's you're not really doing the work you're not really learning what you like and what you don't like because it's not um what's the word it's not really manifested in any real way so it's kind of difficult unless you're getting down into the materials Mm -hmm. what it is that you do and do not like what you can imagine for yourself as you know something that let me back up i was thinking about that remark i made um collect and regret I Mm -hmm. just encourage people to experiment experiment with color experiment with texture experiment I still experiment I'll buy something and it'll have a weird funky texture and I'll be like I hate this (laughs) why did I buy this but experiment with not buying things too. experiment with so just to kind of wrap this up Mm. with what's going on with the pandemic We've all been experimenting with not having access to everything and anything, anything at our fingertips that we had previously had access to. Severely decreased socialization. Yeah. Yeah. And I've actually felt a great sense of ease. Sure. Not having access to anything and everything. I've definitely felt... You know, and I know we're not alone in this. You know, there's definitely been an easing in many areas. It's it's kind of a uh, it's a decrease in stimuli. Yes. Right. You know, as you mentioned before, the brain unconsciously picking up the spines of all the books. So my ad, uh, my office in Manhattan, which you've been to many times, is on 29th Street between Sixth and Seventh, very close to Herald Square, Midtown, New York, uh, Northern Chelsea. And it's kind of like the mouth of hell on some days. You know, I mean, it's especially in the summertime, this time of year, the subway platforms are nightmarish. They're you know, just like sweat traps with people usually, you know, shoulder to shoulder, very close together. It's midtown Manhattan. So you have every part of, you know, life and society and the world colliding and getting on trains and off trains and everything. The office was peaceful. You know, I'm I'm very pleased to say, but going back and forth basically for me was a kind of endurance test each time. And I always had weird feelings too about, 
you know, the calming experience that would take place in the office and then sending people back down to 29th Street. Now, you know, right. we're all adults. Everybody can handle it. I think it was fine. Nobody ever complained about that. But it's this something that I no longer have to be, you know, even thinking about with virtual sessions. Mm -hmm. So all this as a way of saying, I, you know, and aligning with you, really agreeing. Yeah, my brain does not miss that, you know, and I feel the additional energy I have as a result. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and I know we're not alone in that. No, and, and we're spending a lot of time at home now. And I think people are going to take their environments a little bit more seriously now and not have and not be using their homes as locker rooms or just, you know, little stopping points to toss your stuff in and go about your day. And I think the clients that I work with, and if you work with me, you're going to realize that like we're lowering your cortisol levels mm -hmm. by getting that home aligned with your lifestyle, with your mental well-being, with how you feel when you walk around your home, how you interact with your objects. Mm -hmm. And I want that for everyone, but at everyone's own pace. So it's like, if I could, you know, leave this episode with any piece of advice is that less is definitely more. And just like, take a look around with what you have in your home. And if you're really happy with it, if you feel like you need these things, if you feel like you need to add more, you know, maybe you have like a really bare space. You just moved. A lot of people are moving yeah. right now. Right. And um, what your space needs for you to feel at ease and to feel a sense of relaxation and wholeness. Yeah, beautiful. And I would just add to that, that knowing who you are and what you want is where it's at. And minimalism is a way of learning in that process. Actually, it could be a significant tool for helping one figure out, you know, who you are and what mm -hmm. you want. It, it helped me uh, when I was in my late 20s and went through a period of asceticism. Mm -hmm. And subtraction is is key, too. I mean, take take things away, add them back. You, it's a game, yeah. you know, and, and it's a, a system of principles that you can apply. And if it works for you, that's great. If it doesn't, that's great, too. I'm just not going to be your um, advisor. <laughs> So, I shouldn't say that. I'll advise you how, however you <laughs> want to be advised. I'm just not going to help you move stuff into your house. I'm going to help you move stuff out of your space. There you go. So that you can live in your space. Because as I want to remind people, you're paying rent, you're paying mortgage for you to exist in your home, not for your things to mm. be there. Mm. Your, yeah. your objects are not paying rent. It's not a storage space. Yeah. You're paying rent. Your socks are not paying rent. They have holes in them. They got to go. You heard it here. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to this episode of Mind Space Minimal. Thanks, guys. And we'll see you next time. Bye. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Visit MindSpaceMinimal.com and email us at MindSpaceMinimal at gmail.com. That's M-I-N-D-S-P-A-C-E-M-I-N-I-M-A-L.com. Keep it minimal and keep it moving. Thanks again for listening.